Let's turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, from verse 12 to verse 22. We are continuing with our series, Encounters with Jesus Christ. I remind you again that one of my prayers, my hope, is that you will approach the scripture with an open mind. That you will allow God's word to speak to you. It is living and active. That means it continues to speak. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through his word. Sometimes he uses circumstances. Sometimes he uses people. But mainly, he speaks through his word. So don't approach the scripture with the mindset that you had when you attended Sunday school. Let the Holy Spirit bring it to you the way he wants. And here at Southside Bible Fellowship, we believe that since the Bible is God's word, and all of us who have believed in Jesus are God's children, then the Bible, say it with me, is God's word for us. Father, we come before you acknowledging your presence, your love, your grace, and your control. We come before you, Lord, this morning, not because we are good, but because you are good. We come before you because you are our Father. And Lord, we pray as we listen that God, you may speak to us and that you may accomplish what you intend to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. So, our passage begins where we left last Sunday. Jesus was in Cana, attending a wedding where he turned water into wine. And we learned from that lesson that he does not only have power to change the natural elements of life, but that he has power to transform lives. We learned that... uh, when the wines of our lives runs out, those of us that have Jesus in our lives will continue to have enough supply. And we were reminded also that uh, if you 
don't have Jesus in your life, your wine is running out. And you need to turn to Jesus. So in verse 12, after that miracle, we are told, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. And they stayed there for a few days. That's a journey of around 20 miles from Cana to Capernaum. And when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Passover, for those of you that uh, know your Bible, was a Jewish celebration. They were remembering their deliverance from Egypt. When the angel of death passed over their houses because of the blood of the lamb. They were saved from death. So it's a big deal for the Israelites. Jerusalem is a, isn't a very big city, but by this time it would have at least over two million people. And they would take a month just to prepare for the Passover. So Jesus, he goes to Jerusalem and as he enters the gate of the city, he is disappointed by what he sees says in verse 14, in the temple courts he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. He is welcomed by the voice, the sounds of cows and sheep and goats and Everything that comes with them and money changers are also taking advantage of the situation because you are not allowed to offer foreign currency. So it has to be changed. And then the inspectors of the animals are also taking advantage. If they don't approve an animal, it's not accepted for offering. So there's a lot of business going on, and to make it worse, the high priest is behind all this. So Jesus comes in, and he is not pleased by what he sees. And all this is happening at the courts of the Gentiles. This is the place that uh, those who are not Jews are supposed to come, but now they can't. Because it's filled with other things, animals, and other stuff. So we are told he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts. 
both sheep and cattle, he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get this out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. He is angry. This is not the kind of Jesus that we hear about. The kind of Jesus that uh, appears so nice and so humble and so loving and so kind. This is a different kind of Jesus. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. In Psalm 69, verse 9, I will take a stop there first. And then we will come back to that. So Jesus, for the first time, we see him taking a whip. Getting angry. How can a loving Jesus be so angry? Because this is one of the most overlooked characters of Jesus. Every time we talk about Jesus, we have in our mind a very nice person. But this character of Jesus is revealed somewhere else in the Gospels as well. In Luke chapter 13, verse 32, he calls Herod fox. Go tell that fox, he says. In Matthew 16, verse 23, when Peter said, you are not going to die, Jesus responded by telling him, get behind me, Satan. wasn't happy about his response. In Matthew 23, verse 27, when he was addressing the Pharisees, he called them whitewashed tombs. And in verse 33, he calls them brood of vipers. And here, we see him taking a whip, driving people out from the temple for turning the house that was made to honor God into a marketplace. The lamb is also the lion. And sometimes he roars. He gets angry. He doesn't allow anything that stands on his way. He does not allow any type of compromise when it comes to worship. The lamb is also the lion. Sadly, too many Christians have an image of a gentle, mild Jesus. We 
we live in a culture that preach and follow a Christ who is so different from the Christ of the New Testament. Too many Christians today follow a Christ who is so nice and so gentle and kind and powerless. A Christ that is afraid to confront us when we are wrong. We have in our, in our, in our image a Jesus that is in a tight blue jeans a white t-shirt, sneakers, and headphones. In many ways, we are trying to conform him into our image. That is not the kind of Jesus the Bible presents to us. And don't get me wrong, Jesus is gentle and he is humble. In fact, he says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. He is gentle and he is humble. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but he is also the Lion of Judah. He saves, but he also judges. And there are times that he expresses his humility to us, pleading with us to turn to him, to believe in him, to trust him, to follow him. And then there are times that he confronts us and he tells us that is wrong. As a person that believes in me, you shouldn't be doing this. He confronts us. Sometimes he's a lion. He roars. He shakes us. He reminds us every time we move or walk away from the path of righteousness. When he sent his disciples, he told them, be wise like a serpent. Be wise, be humble like a dove, and yet wise like a serpent. The lamb is also the lion. What can we learn from his anger here? What is it that we can learn from his anger here in this passage? Number one, we learn that he is against religious hypocrisy toward God. 
See, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were publicly proclaiming the holiness of God, but denying it in practice. Everything else they were doing was communicating a different language. You know, if you are a Christian, you don't have to behave like a Christian. Okay. Someone is saying, oh, I've been trying to do that. If you are a Christian, you don't have to behave like a Christian because you are a Christian. You try to behave like a Christian when you're not a Christian. If you are a Christian, that's all you need to be. A Christian. Christ-like. Christianity is not a behavior change program. It's a lifestyle. I don't have to wake up in the morning and remind myself, oh, I'm a Christian. So now when I go out, I need to be nice. I need to smile to people. I need to try not to get angry. Our goal, our desire is to be like Christ. And there are times that we will be angry. If you love, you will also hate. If you understand what it means to love, you will also understand what it means to hate and to be jealous as well. Did, did you understand that? Okay. When you get so quiet. <laughs> number two. So number one, he is against religious hypocrisy toward God. Number two, his anger here is an expression of God's wrath. He is not changing from who he is. He is the Lord. We are reminded in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 and 19, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 10, when the Israelites worshipped the golden calf. They turned their attention from the Lord and worshipped an image made with their own hands. And then they ascribed the greatness of God to that image. God was angry. And he told Moses, Get out of here. Leave me alone so that I can destroy them. 
so that my anger may burn towards them and I will destroy them and make a new nation. So when Jesus is getting angry here, he is revealing, expressing the wrath of God. And you know, when we are sharing the gospel, we present bad news and good news. The gospel is good news. But it is good news because there is bad news. The bad news is without Jesus, you are going to perish. The bad news is everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have missed the mark. The bad news is there is hell. But there is good news. And the good news is God loves you. And because he loves you, he has provided a way for you. And through Jesus Christ, you can be saved. That's the good news. But it it won't make sense unless you also hear the bad news. The problem is Because of the kind of Jesus that we have formed for ourselves, we only want to hear the good news. We want to be told God loves us and he cares for us and he wants us to be saved. But you know, you cannot turn to Christ without knowing and admitting that you are a sinner. You won't need a savior unless you realize that you are lost. He is expressing the wrath of God. Number three. His anger reveals that he is against anything that distorts God's glory. The temple, remember when Solomon built the temple, he prayed and the glory of God filled the temple. The temple was supposed to be the place where God is glorified. Where his presence was. And by turning it into a marketplace, they are communicating a different message. It's like here, when we come together, we gather together to worship God. When we, if, if we turn this into something different, let's say someone came in and he or she found us doing something different. What will they think of God? What message will we be sending to them? 
Jesus is against anything that distorts God's glory. And you know, as Christians, some of us are also tempted to do the same, especially because of the culture that we are in. We find ourselves referring to the God of the Bible as the big man in the sky or the man upstairs. That's not the God of the Bible that we worship. We don't worship the big man in the sky. And we don't worship the man upstairs. We worship the Lord. The sovereign creator of everything. Everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. And some of, some of us here are so smart. When I say God is the creator of everything, you are already beginning to think of things. You're thinking of your car. God create my car. Yes, he did. He didn't have to do everything because what he did accomplished everything. When he wanted to create a car, he created a man. He gave him the ability to create a car. He provided the source for all the resources that would be needed to make a car. Everything that you and I are able to do is a continuation of God's creation. When God wanted to make a table, he only needed to create a man and provide a tree. And then give that man a creative mind to get that table from the tree. God finishes before he begins. That's why those of us that believe in Jesus, we already know the end of the story. We are going through the motions and sometimes we shed tears but we know the end of the story. We know that in the end we will be with him because he finishes before he begins. The story has already been written, guys. We are just going through the motions. So yes, we worship the creator of everything. Do you know the reason there is so much debate about creation is because we don't want to submit to God. 
Because if you agree that he is the creator of everything, you will have to accept the fact that he has control over everything. So the only way you can take that control from him for yourself is to come up with a different theory of creation. Is to convince yourself that there is another way. That's because we are trying to run away from this God. But one day, the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. One day, we will all find out that he is the Lord. We worship a great, awesome God, sovereign over all, Jehovah. His name is Yahweh. He is the only one. He says in Isaiah 42 verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. That's the kind of God that we worship. Not the man upstairs. Let's look at verse 18. 18 to 22, the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? What sign? Show us a sign. And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? And then John here reminds us that the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. You should know that the Gospels were written after the resurrection. So John here is able to understand that because he's giving us an account of what happened. But at that moment when Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will build it in three, I will raise it in three days, they didn't understand what he was talking about. They didn't realize that Jesus was and is the true temple. The fullness of God dwells in him. And so when he gets angry, he's getting angry because what they were doing was distorting who he is. 
He got angry because they were dishonoring him. And he presents himself to them. He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. He is telling them that the sign you are looking for is me. I am the temple. And you know, because of Jesus Christ, every believer is a temple. Because of Jesus Christ, every believer is a temple because the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You don't own yourself. Because of Jesus Christ, every believer is a temple. And when we gather together, we gather in Christ, we gather for Christ, and we gather with Christ. We have, we, regardless of where we are coming from, we come together with one goal in mind. To exalt the Savior. And then we go out to make him known. We glorify him here. We worship him together. We encourage one another. And then we go out to make him known. We go out to tell the world that there is a Savior. There is someone who cares. There is someone who has the answer. There is someone who loves you. You can turn to him. He will receive you and forgive you. And this person is none other than Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we are not ashamed of him. Thank you. We know that he is the Lamb of God. But we also know that he is the Lion of Judah. And that is enough to make us love him, but to also make us tremble before him. And if you are here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, our message to you is he loves you and he wants you to be saved. And you can turn to him today. You can ask him to forgive you and to save you. And he promises to do that. But as a Christian, you who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
let this message remind us. I gave you three points, right? There's a fourth one. His anger calls us, motivates us to apply the whip to ourselves. To apply the whip to our own lives. To ask ourselves, are we exalting this Savior? Are we following the Jesus that the New Testament presents to us or the Jesus that our culture presents to us? Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises. And I thank you for moments like this that you bring us together to nourish us, to encourage us, to remind us, to teach us, and to glorify yourself through us. We look unto you with fear and trembling, but with love in our hearts. We look unto you and we acknowledge that we are who we are today because of your grace. And we thank you. And Lord, you know each one of us. You, you know our prayers, you know our cries, you know our struggles. You can see our hearts. And it is my prayer, Lord, that in your own way, You will minister to each one of us. And you will cause us to turn to you, to be revived in our hearts, and to desire to be the Christian that you want us to be. And for that one person who is yet to turn to you, I pray, Lord, that you may minister to him as well. That you may minister to her as well. And that through everything that you are doing in our lives, that you may be glorified in Jesus' name. May everyone say, Amen. Amen.